Welcome. Thanks for being here at Grace and watching online. And this is the first time that we can say we are one church this Sunday meeting in two locations. We are excited. Let's welcome the Paulding campus with us. Well, I'm fired up. And then watching that video, uh, that, that fires me up. And I can tell you guys are getting fired up too. Isn't that great when you see those people, you know, following God in believer's baptism? It's just uh, exciting things are happening and, and we, we, we are really pumped. So Paulding, they are with us by video this morning. And then also next Sunday is our official launch. And we're starting a brand new series, as was mentioned earlier, called Soul Detox. That's here and at Paulding, doing a big push. Uh, just want you to know that we're, as a matter of fact, today our teens are in third hour going to get fueled up with pizza, and then they will go over in a couple of buses to Paulding. They're going to campus the neighborhood with door hangers and invite cards and invite people to church next Sunday. We're also, we, we've already run like a full page ad in Paulding, and, and uh, we've done that, and there will also be a mailing that's going to hit our communities and the Paulding community that'll go out this week. It's the same thing, just inviting people to soul detox. You know, I, I know a, a lot of you, we always want you to invite people into church, but one of the best days to do that is going to be next Sunday, and, and we're fired up to see what God's going to do. Can't wait, and uh, we want you to be a part of it too, so, so come on in. And uh, we'll, we'll be glad you're with us. Now, I, I got to tell you, I was standing in the back as everybody was coming in. I noticed some of you, you come in a little late. It, it gets a little hard to find a seat. Has that happened to anybody? And so I'll tell you the secret. Right down here, there's some seats. And then there's the front row over there. See, if you just keep coming, have confidence, don't chicken out, you'll find a spot right down front. But we, we are, a lot of people would say, why do all this? All this work, all this effort, you know, that just, that ends up just making the church bigger. I mean, why do it? Well, the answer is because this is what God told us to do. Jesus gave us a mission that we would share God's message of love with the lost and dying world all around us. Now, doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that there's no cost. There is cost, time, effort. But, but it's what we're called to do. It doesn't mean that we won't have, have opposition. We'll have opposition. As a matter of fact, our number one adversary is the evil one who the Bible describes as, as Satan. And, and actually the Bible describes him as the God of this world. But what's happened is with the church, with Jesus Christ, a new kingdom has broken in to this world. And Jesus himself has called us to plunder hell, to to come into this, the, world, the, the world's kingdom and to win people. Come into darkness and share the light. And that's exactly what we're doing. Man, I, I love the title of this sermon, Plundering Hell. I mean, this, is, this fires me up. This is really what we're all about here at Grace. And this is what we want every person uh, to be about. So Jesus calls us, and I'm going to show this to you in Scripture, to fearlessly... Plunder hell. And he's basically telling us we do that by, first of all, being a fearless church. Way back when Jesus first introduced his disciples to the concept of the church, the church hadn't even started yet. 
He was just introducing them to the concept of church. And, and again, I always say the church is the greatest organization on the planet. This is where he's giving the footprint. He's just kind of telling his followers what's going to come. And here's the way he, he broke it down for us. And it's Matthew uh, 16, one of the most well-known passages of Scripture. And check the emphasis that he gives here. Now, when Jesus, so we're in Matthew 16, 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He said, hey, what are people saying about me? Who are they saying that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So he brings, the, I, I want to interrupt the story right here to, to let you know, he brings them to this town, Caesarea Philippi, and I think this is very significant. Caesarea Philippi is 25 miles north of Galilee. It's really on the, the outskirts of Israel, kind of a, a border town, if you will. And, and it's known as, it, it, as kind of sin city. I mean, no good Jewish people would normally go to Caesarea Philippi. And here it's maybe taking them, them a few days for Jesus to take them there. And I've been to this, this city. And one of the, the main things about it, it was founded as a center for pagan worship. They worshiped the god of Pan there who was the god of nature. As a matter of fact, there's this huge cliff face... And with, with a cave underneath, and out from this cave flows a spring that's one of the, it's part of the headwaters of the Jordan River. And people believed in that time that Pan was born in that cave, the god of nature, if you will. And then all through the, the cliff face were these arches carved in where they put their idols. So Jesus is, is bringing them there. As a matter of fact, at the time of Christ, not only was this place a center for the worship of the god the false god pan it also had a temple to caesar and it also had 14 temples to baal i mean this was a, a pagan place and he brings his disciples here it, it's kind of like today if i said hey let's let's have a staff meeting or anybody new coming to christ or let me tell you what we're going to do but in order to do this let's fly to vegas and you know let's go to sin city and we'll talk about it that's kind of what's happening. You know the disciples felt out of place. And they're there. And then Jesus gets to this question. Who's everybody saying that I am? And then the question turns way more person, personable. He turns to them and he specifically asks them, who do you say? Look at verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say? That I am. And this really, it's the ultimate question. It's the most important question in the world. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? Do you know who he is? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock... I will build my church. And I just want to interrupt there. I will build my church. And here's where Jesus unveils the concept of the church. It hadn't even started yet. 
And he says, I will build my church, he's saying. Now, we live in a time where it's kind of popular for people to say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, but I don't want anything to do with church. I'm just not a church guy or I'm a church woman. But I'm telling you, Jesus died for the church. Church, most important organization on the planet because it's Jesus's organization. He planned it. And it's God's intention that all believers would be connected to a local body of believers, the church, a church. That's, that's his intention. That's his design. That's his idea. And as they did that, the church would be a special place. A place where the guilty could find forgiveness. A place where the unwelcomed would be welcomed. I mean, the church changed everything it was God's instrument to impact the world. And it still is. And that's what's happening here. God still works in the chain, in the church. God still changes lives. Hearts melt. God has designed the church as a tool to impact humanity, the world. And it has a mission. The church exists for a reason. Then and now. And we need to understand that. And when we get the, the fact that Jesus is building his church and, and, and we're involved in that, and when we see the mission that he's revealed to us, we realize church can't just be about us on the inside. Church has to also be about those out there that God has called us to impact. So as a church... Here at Grace, that's exactly what we're trying to do to impact our communities for Christ. We want to be effective in doing that. And it's interesting because, you know, we live in a time where most churches, the far majority of churches, are either stagnant, and they usually don't stay stagnant long, or they're in decline. And, and God... God wants to build, Jesus wants to build a church. God intends for us to be a part of the church. And, and, and we want to be effective in reaching people. He's called us to that. And in order to do that, we have to speak the language of our culture and the language of our generation so that they can, they can hear the good news of Christ in a way that they can understand it and receive it. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're trying to do that as best we can to speak in the language of today to impact the world tomorrow. That's what we're trying to do here at Grace. We want to tell people who don't know. I want you to think about something. Why Caesarea Philippi? Why Sin City? Why is he coming here? And I believe location is key. A lot of times, Jesus would use the location where he was teaching something as sort of a, a teaching moment uh, or a teaching point. And I think that's exactly what's happening here at Caesarea Philippi. I, I've been there. Some people speculate that maybe they were meeting on a bluff that kind of overlooks the city and overlooks this cliff, cliff face. That here is where Jesus is talking to the disciples. You know, they're standing around. They're thinking, what are we doing here? What is going on? Now, you know, I... I 
Don't want to tell my mom I was here. You know, what, what should I, what are we doing here? And then Jesus, I think he's, he's, he's tied. He brought him here for the reason of, so that they would understand the mission of the church. So they, they would understand the scope of the church. The scope of the mission, it's beyond Israel. The scope of the mission is beyond Judaism. It's beyond the Jewish people. The scope of the mission is the world. It, it's beyond nice people. It's to the pagans. It, it's to the pagan centers. It, it's, it's to be everywhere, to all people. God wants all to be saved. And, and that's what's happening here. And I think that these disciples are kind of getting it. Wow, th this is bigger than I thought. This is not just all about Israel. It's about those who don't know God. It's about those who the who are farthest from God. He's surrounded by all these false religions, all these temples, all these symbols. And then he says, not only that I will build my church, what's the rest of it? And the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overpower it. I think what's happened for a lot of us is, is that we forget that we live every day in a spiritual battle, a spiritual war. God versus evil. It's happening all around us at all times. And God's wanting us to be involved in this, this cosmic battle. And Jesus rallies his troops. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, there's a twist here. Notice he doesn't say, and the armies of hell will not overcome it, the church. No, what's he say? The gates of hell will not overcome. What's the implication there? The implication is that the church is on offense. That the gates of hell can't hold the church back. That the church will break through the world's domain of darkness. That it can't be held. The church cannot be held in check. That's what he's saying here. Christ, Christ has called his church to be fearless and to plunder hell. And in order for that to happen, we not only need a fearless church, but that church needs to be filled with fearless followers. That's us. Why? Because we have a role to play. God's called us to be involved. And a lot of times we just kind of sweep that. We just don't want to think about that. That's, that's our purpose. Glorify God and to work for his kingdom. To share his message of love. The same message that we responded to. God uses us to plunder hell. That means all the people who are lost and dying and heading to hell, we plunder them. We can win them. God uses us to impact them for an eternity. God uses us to plunder hell and populate heaven. Isn't that amazing? God uses us, normal, ordinary people, to plunder hell and populate heaven. And we need to be involved with that. We need to take that mission seriously. Because that's exactly what the early church did. Re remember how the church started? I mean, there was the death and crucifixion of Christ. 
And, and the disciples went into hiding. But then the resurrection, we always say, it changed everything. Disciples came out of hiding and started boldly confronting their culture, boldly confronting the city that put Christ to death. And so we, the history of the church is recorded in a book called Acts. And in Acts 1, what do we have? We have a church of 120 people. And Jesus tells them, wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, in essence, what he's saying, hell is going to be plundered. And that's exactly what happens. The Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. And what's one of the first things that happen? Peter gets up and starts preaching open air in Jerusalem. The same city where Christ was just crucified a little over a month before. And as he's preaching, do you remember the results of that? 3,000 people come to Christ. The, the gates are breached. 3,000 people come to Christ. It, it's a revolution. It happens right there. And, and it doesn't end there, though. After that, we have Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, we have Peter and John. They're going to the temple. They're continuing to preach. And as they get there, they, they go by a guy who, who's who hasn't been able to walk for his entire life, and he's begging for money. They don't have any money to give him, but they heal him. Well, he starts walking. Well, everybody knows this guy because he's at the gate of the temple all the time, so they start flocking around. He attracts a crowd. As the crowd shows up, Peter starts preaching again. And as we're reading through Acts 3, we're realizing, hey, he's He's telling the people, he's telling the priests, he's telling the, the captain of the temple guard. He's telling anybody that will listen the message of Jesus, that there's forgiveness in Christ. And more and more people are starting to believe. And then the next chapter in Acts, chapter 4, uh, he's telling all these people and then Peter and John are arrested. And the next day they're brought in to the court and the court is packed with religious dignitaries, packed out. The high priest is there. The Sadducees are there. He, they call them in, and it's Peter and it's John, and this, this guy that's been healed comes along too, and they start warning them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Stop doing that. But, but they're saying, there's only one way we can be made right with God. One way, Jesus and so they're kind of perplexed on what to do. That's where we pick it up. We'll pick it up in Acts 4, verse 13. Here's, here's how it goes. He says, Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed. And they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. And so what they do is they kind of call a timeout. They don't know what to do. They've warned them. They kind of threw it back in their face. It, they're standing there. They're trying to figure out what to do. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another. Take a timeout. Figure out what are we doing here? What's going on? How are we going to respond? Verse 16 saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. And we can't deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer 
to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And then when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle healing of healing had taken place, had been performed. It's like this happens. Jesus is telling us, and, and the, the, the disciples got this. The church is starting, and they realize, hey, we're not here to play defense. We're here to get after it. And that's exactly what they did. Thousands of people start coming to Christ. They start sharing with everyone they can. There's opposition, and there will always be opposition, and you'll have opposition. But when, when did we, as Christians, start believing that God wanted to send us to safe places and live comfortable lives? That's not what's going on in the early church. That's not the way they understood the mission that, that Jesus gave them. When did, when did we as the church start thinking that faithfulness is simply holding the fort? That, that it's okay to play it safe? That, that's, that's not what Jesus called us to. That's not our mission. When did that take over in our thinking? Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. Jesus died to make us dangerous. Jesus died to, to allow us to make an impact. Jesus wants to use us to build his kingdom, his church, to spread the message, the same message that we heard, to spread it to others. That's what we're called to do. And I got to tell you, faithfulness is not just holding the fort, it's storming the gates of hell. It's getting involved. It's becoming engaged with the spiritual battle that's happening all around us. And the assault, the assault on the gates of hell, it's not over. We're still in this battle. We're still in the fight. And if you're a follower, he wants you involved. You're part of it. He's got a role for you to play in this effort. It's kind of like what the disciples face. The question is, who are you going to offend? I'm telling you, the more fired up you get about Jesus, the more you're going to offend other people. It's just going to happen that way. We can fear man and offend God. Or we could, we could fear God and offend man. At some point in your life, you got to kind of figure out, which way am I going here? How am I going to live my life? And, and we expect, expect criticism. It's going to happen. 
I'm telling you from experience, the more you do, the more fired up you are about Jesus, the more you'll be criticized, the bigger the target on your back. It doesn't matter. The mission is too important. They'll criticize you as an individual, and they'll criticize, if you're here a part of grace, they'll criticize your church. You know, people say, oh, well, grace, you know, church should only be about believers. And grace is too worried about unbelievers. No, that's not true. Acts, in Acts, we see in chapter 2, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we, we see the church, a snapshot of the church, and unbelievers are there with the believers. And not only that, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul's telling us, be careful how you're doing church because how it impacts them. That's the way we do church at Grace. Some people will say, well, you know, yeah, Grace, it's too big. Church is better done small. You know, small churches are better. Hey, what's the first church? The first church within a few days was over 3,000 people. We're the small church. Okay? What's, what's big? What's too big? Well, it just comes down to who are we going to not share the message with? Who do we don't care about? Who do we let go to hell? Hell's a real place. It should concern us. We need to be involved. I talk to atheists who say, well, who have Christian friends, and as we're talking, they'll say, well, if what you're saying is true, if my friends really believe that, they would do more to try to convince me. And they should. Don't give up on the people that you know that are in your sphere of influence. Do not give up on them. The gates of hell can't keep the church from advancing. Stay on mission. Don't worry about the critics. Keep doing what you should be doing for God. Peter and John, they weren't afraid. I mean, they, they, were, they were being threatened. They were being jailed. They were being beaten. You see it all through Acts. Stayed on mission. De- defied the authorities repeatedly. Stayed on mission in spite of their critics. We just need to engage. We need to make a difference. I, I, I say this a lot. Sometimes I'll, I'll tell stories about, you know, uh, sharing my faith with somebody or talking to somebody at the rack or whatever, talking to them about God. And, and sometimes people will come up to me, wow, I'd love it if you would talk to so-and-so, and w- which I'm always okay to do that. But, but I always say this, you know, you talking to your friend, there's nothing going to be more effective than you doing it. Why? Because God's put you in their life. You have earned a hearing. They know you care about them. Hey, this morning, I'll tell you a different story. I'll tell you a Paulding story, okay? We ready for a, a Paulding story? Are you ready? Okay, a Paulding story, yeah. Well, here, here's what happened. Um, 
I, I told you a few weeks ago we ran this full-page ad, but, and so some of the people there in Paulding, again, I think their church was running around 25, and, then, and they asked us to come in and help them, and so we're there, and, and some of the people aren't liking it so much, and some of the people are really fired up, and, and this one lady who was who fired up about it, uh, she works in a chiropractor's office. Uh, you know, I won't mention her name because I didn't get permission to share this story. But anyway, but who cares? But anyway, she was, <laughs> she was there. She, and she had heard that we were getting some of these invite cards, which we have for both campuses here, inviting people to here and, and Paul inviting people to that campus. And so she heard we had these, camp, these cards. And so she asked Cameron, who's the campus pastor there, and Carrie, his wife, to, to bring those by. So they stopped by the office, and they gave her a stack of these invite cards. And while they were there, a police officer from Van Wert stopped by the chiropractor's office. And, and while Cameron and Carrie were standing there, this lady invites him to church, to the Paulding campus for Sunday. And so this is all happening. And, and then they, they were really proud of her and they're talking to her after he leaves. And she says, well, yeah, I've been inviting people. She goes, but I needed these cards because before these cards, what I was doing is I was going into the back room and I was getting the full page ad and I was bringing that out and going, look, look, this is what's happening on the 28th of September. You know, She's engaged. Of course, now everybody in Paulding knows who I'm talking about. But, you know, she's, she's engaged in what's happening. God wants us all to be engaged like that. You know, we want to be active with our faith. We want to be involved in the battle, knowing what's going on. We want to share our faith. Invite somebody. I mean, better just share the gospel with them. That's the best thing you can do, but... It's circumstances, you know, or share your faith and invite them. But sometimes it's just, you know, or invite them or whatever. Just do something. Take some action. Get engaged in the war that's happening all around you. That's what we all need to do. And as we come together, you know, we, we want to be a church that will do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to effectively share the message of Christ with a lost and dying world. And I know that's why a lot of you are here. Some of you are here because you've kind of been saved through our ministry or maybe even here at church. But some of you are here because you just heard that what we're doing and what God's doing, you just want to be a part of it. Be a part of it. Everyone should be a part of what God's doing in this world. We want to accomplish the mission that Christ gave us. We want to plunder hell. It takes to plunder hell a fearless church. It takes fearless followers. It takes one more thing, fearless prayer. We saw this in the early church as well. As we continue with the story, what happened is they're released. And after they're released, Peter and John, they go back to their church and they're telling them, you know, what happened and, you know, they were warned and then they start praying and they recognize God as creator and then they recognize that there's a battle going on and they're asking God to help them with this battle and as a matter of fact, they get to this one spot in Acts 4.29 and, and here's what they pray. They say, and now Lord, take note of their threats. And grant that your bondservants may speak your word 
with all confidence or with all boldness. You see, part of what they're praying is God acknowledge their threats toward us and then help us to be bold in spite of the threats. It just, it seems like we've lost something in our prayer today. It, it seems like we, we've lost kind of an element here. When did, when did our prayers become so focused on our personal comfort? You know, we pray, God, you know, keep us safe. Keep my family. I pray this. Keep my family safe. We pray about all these kind of details in our life. Not saying that that's wrong. But the whole time, Jesus is calling us to engage in the battle. And we're praying for safety. We're praying prayers just to help us to lead comfortable lives. And, and, and as we do that, if we're, if we're leaving out the rest of it, we're, we're making a mistake. We're missing God's mission and our role in it. Because we do, every believer, if you're a Christian here, you have a role. We all do. It's time to quit living as if the purpose of our life is to be comfortable. It's time to, to stop living as if the the purpose of our life is to play it safe. God wants us to take action. Fearless prayer. So here's what I'm asking. I, I, I know a whole bunch of you ha have been involved in, in sharing your faith, praying for people who, who don't know Christ, inviting people to church. Many of you have that. That's why our church is as big as it is today, is God working through you. But here, here's my challenge. I think it's always good for us to kind of refocus and recommit, sort of reprioritize, just a reminder to refocus, reprioritize. And here's what, I, here's what I want you to commit to, if you can. I want you to commit, first of all, to praying for people you know who aren't believers. I, I know you've probably already done this, but this week I'm asking you to refocus and recommit to praying for the people that you know in your world that are not believers. And then secondly, that you would take some step of action. Pray for them and then take action. Either share your faith, broach the God topic, or invite them to church, or both where you know they're gonna hear the gospel message next Sunday. Pray for them and then take action. Either share your faith and invite them to come to grace. How many of you would be willing to do that? If you just lift up your hands. Kevin, I commit to pray for people who are lost that I know and then take some action to invite them, to point them, to influence them, uh, to share my faith, to somehow take action to bring them closer to God. I thank you. Thanks for doing that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your goodness and, and this mysterious thing that, that we, that you use normal people like us to impact eternity. 
It's an amazing thing, and it's amazing responsibility. And God, we want to be fearless as a church. And in order to do that, Lord, you need to help us to be fearless as followers and help us to pray fearless prayers. Lord, that you would use our lives for maximum impact for your kingdom. And God, we thank you that, that you will use us and that it's your plan to use us that we could even be involved to get in the game, to get into the battle, to make a difference. God, use us in Christ's name. Amen.